everybody. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast, a special weekly discussion about insider information on strong towns. <laughs> it's very nice to be with you. Rachel is gone this week. Hopefully she is somewhere right now at this moment enjoying uh, some downtime and some relaxation. Uh, she very much deserves that. Rachel has been uh, kind of carrying the load around here for uh, many, many weeks and uh, boy, we would be lost without her. If, if you're appreciating the great content that we're putting out, not only on the podcast, but, but particularly on the, uh, the media site at strongtowns.org, we, we really have to point to her. She has done amazing work. And actually, today is uh, September 26th. Uh, she has had her one-year anniversary, uh, I think last week would have been that, and I'm just going to take a moment here to reflect on uh, the, the contributions from the last year. Uh, it's been outstanding. I mean, and when we set out uh, last in August of 2015 to, to bring some more staff on and really make this shift from an organization that was doing a, a lot of things, uh, kind of searching for what the best way to grow this movement and get our message out and, and see the change we wanted to see in the world happen when when we were kind of making the transition from that to very much focusing on building a movement of a million people who care and using a, a strong media approach to make that happen uh, Rachel was like our, our, one of the one of the first people that I we hired that I, I really really wanted to have as part of the team I had worked with her in the past she had done some writing for us she had done some volunteering with us incredibly reliable uh, very bright, uh, a great thinker. We've been uh, working together now for a year, and I have to say I, I just love working with her. I, I love um, what she brings to the team. I, I love the fact that she has gotten to, to the point uh, in a comfort level standpoint around here where she will tell me what to do <laughs> and tell me uh, what she thinks is a, is a you know, a good idea and a bad idea and like, Hey Chuck, uh, no, I wouldn't do that. And, uh, um, we need more people like that around here. And it's been very helpful to have that. Uh, she's also, you know, taking the initiative on, on so many different things, uh, to, to beef up our content and really to improve the quality of our content. Um, I'm constantly amazed by the stuff she's lined up. She's got stuff lined up for this week. That is, is going to be fantastic. And, uh, we would not be uh, anywhere near the quality of an organization without Rachel. So time well spent, time off. And if you run into her or, uh, or hear from her, uh, let, her know, let her know how much you appreciate her. Let her know how much you care. Uh, she's doing a great job for this movement. Um, last week, I'm going to follow her agenda a little bit here and talk about last week. Uh, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was a great time. I, I actually was on the ground in Knoxville, I want to say. 20 hours, which is getting to be more kind of a standard thing for us here, especially during conference season in the fall and in the spring. Um, you know, I have this pesky thing called a family. <laughs> um, no, I love my family dearly. Uh, all this travel is fantastic. Um, but in years past, as we would get into September and October and November, uh, we would just have multiple weeks of very, very long trips. And it, it was quite traumatic and, and difficult uh, for my two daughters and particularly hard on my wife. Uh, we've been able to now, I, I think, um, strike a good balance 
And I've been doing a lot of trips where it is one night gone or, you know, one night and a ride back late the next evening. So it's, it's two nights. I'm not there to tuck the kids into bed, but I'm, I'm, you know, going to be there the next morning when they wake up. And, uh, that is a, a huge help for my wife and a, a good thing for my kids. What it's meant though, is that like for the last three weeks in particular, as I was in, uh, Utah and the week before that in Valparaiso, uh, I'm flying in late, uh, getting late to a hotel, sleeping for a few hours, getting up the next day, having a, a really great and busy day, but then flying home late that night and, you know, getting home at midnight, uh, one in the morning, two in the morning from, from Valparaiso. I think I got home at three in the morning. Um, much prefer that to, you know, being gone for three, four days in a row. Uh, but it makes these trips rather whirlwind. On the way out to Knoxville, uh, we had a really bad storm coming in, and I actually was a little bit nervous uh, because we hadn't cut ourselves a whole lot of slack in the travel schedule. I was nervous that my flight was going to get delayed because it, it was a bad, it was a really bad storm. They were kind of rushing us to get on the plane, you know, hurry up, hurry up, we got to get out of here. And, and we got in, uh, taxied away, and uh, and took off, and found out later from the pilot that because of the storm, a lot of the incoming traffic had circled around to the east and was trying to land that way. So air traffic control would not let us fly east. And so we had to fly kind of directly south. And that wasn't directly into the storm, but it was on the edge of the storm. And that was perhaps the worst turbulence I've ever been in. We were in a smaller craft, one of those four seat across ones. And, you know, a lot of times when you hit turbulence, it's the up and down. And I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe the fact that I've had a lot of physics, um, I get the up and down. Like the up and down doesn't freak me out because I actually know what's going on. And as long as the plane keeps going straight, even if you go down a little bit, you're going to go back up because, you know, lift. That's the way that physics works. The one that freaks me out, and we were getting a lot of this on this flight to Knoxville, is the, uh, the the kind of angled to the side, you know, the 45 degree angle and then down that way. Because, again, maybe I know a little bit too much about physics, but, but planes don't do that well. And that's very close to other movements that planes don't do well. We're not in a fighter jet. I'm in a 727 or whatever it is. And so the idea of flying sideways or uh, vertical, you know, uh, upside down, th th these are not things that commercial aircraft, you know, excel at. So that kind of turbulence was freaking me out. But, you know, we got through it and uh, landed in Knoxville. Uh, they met me early the next morning. We gave a talk to um, a, a room full of local dignitaries, uh, county commissioners, city council members, uh, that kind of thing. And they had asked me to be brief. So they, they wanted me to talk 20 minutes and then leave plenty of minute for conversation. What a great Q and a, I, I really wish that I had recorded it because these were some people that is clear have thought about these things are, are working deep in the trenches, kind of understood the implications of the information I was sharing them and had some really fantastic questions. Uh, we had a, a, a great conversation. I actually felt really good about it when we were done because I, I, I felt like here's some people who are, get it and are struggling with these issues as well. And, and you know, I'll say, I, I think here's what we should be looking to do, but I always leave it open to the notion that 
I don't know everything. I don't know everything about Knoxville and, and the people there are going to have to figure this out. I just want to make sure we're, we're asking the right set of questions. I had then at noon the keynote for the Tennessee chapter of the American Planning Association conference. And then after that did a breakout session as well. And this is one of these things where, you know, Tennessee is such a fascinating state. Uh, Minnesota, north to south, is, let me see, if I went north here, I could get to Canada in five and a half, six hours. If I went south, I would get to Iowa in maybe four and a half. So, you know, you've got 10, 11 hours from north to south. I, I think that's about what you have east to west in Tennessee. It, it might be a little bit less than that. But much like Minnesota, changes from north to south, culturally, geographically, uh, Tennessee has that same kind of feel to it. Uh, you know, Nashville is, is quite a different place than Knoxville. Chattanooga, quite a different place. Uh, Memphis, a, a very different place from, from all of them. It's a state with a, a lot of change and, uh, you know, a, a lot of different cultures within it. It's fun to be there, though, and the, the lunch keynote went really well. But then the breakout session afterwards was a, a discussion. I, I let them vote and actually decide. They decided they wanted to do neighborhoods first. So we talked about some of the small incremental projects and how those can make a huge impact. And then I kind of opened it up for questions. And again, another hour of Q&A that I wish I had a recording of because it was just fantastic. We're getting to the point now with the Strong Towns message where a lot of these people, the, the professional planners, uh, the engineers, the, the elected staff, the technical people have heard of our, our message. And if they haven't heard of our message directly, enough people are talking about the issues around our message where a lot of this isn't new. We're insolvent. Uh, a lot of this is a direct result of the productivity of our development pattern. When I'm giving them numbers and showing them examples, they, they still open eyes and they still kind of wow the crowd. But I, I think in a different way, it's, it's not a way of, of stunned disbelief, but more of a way of affirmation of things that people already believe in, in a way. And you're just giving them you know, data and analysis and kind of, you know, bucking them up a little bit in a sense. But it's very exciting because uh, to, to, to experience those Q&As differently today than six years ago, they're far more intelligent. They're far more in depth. There's, there's, there's better questions. People are actually grappling with these issues in, in very intelligent way. And it, it's, it, it, it's just very, um, you know, invigorating for me to have been the guy who was out there years ago, the voice, you know, in the dark saying these things and, and not having people respond anywhere near the way that they are today. So thank you to all those sharing our message and, and thank you to Knoxville for the opportunity to, to come and share with them. Um, this week I am, I am staying close to home. I am heading down to Edina, Minnesota. And I'm not sure if I said this last week or not, um, but if I did, I apologize. I'll say it today. Um, Edina is one of these places here in Minnesota where I always... Um, I always thought just like beautiful people lived, right? We, when I was a, a young kid in grade school, uh, one of the girls in my class who I just thought was uh, this amazing person, um, 
moved to Edina. Her parents got divorced and her mom like moved to Edina. And, and I just always thought that like everybody in Edina, you know, you grow up with these weird notions in your head, but I always thought everybody in Edina must be like, like this, this girl here. It must be just, you know, an amazing person. So I, I have these like good feelings about Edina just in general. As a professional, a few years ago, I was, uh, well, this would have been few years ago. Huh. This might have been like 2003, 2002, maybe. Uh, a, a family from Edina. Edina is a, a wealthier suburb here in Minnesota. A family from Edina owned a lake cabin slash compound up here in one of the cities that I was working with. And they were making a request for a, a guest house. And their request was very logical. They had a family member who um, was uh, sick. They wanted to have a nurse actually live there. They were going to build a guest house. Um, but we have these like weird shoreline regulations that apply statewide that limit your ability to do this, particularly on lots with certain sizes and, and configurations. Their lot did not meet the uh, allowable. And so they made this request and I had to deny it. And the problem was they were using right off the bat a local attorney, a local attorney who, and I'll just put this generously since I'm, I'm not using names, but I'm also not wanting to disparage anyone unnecessarily. Um, a guy who to me has always been more about uh, how many hours you can bill as opposed to how can you best serve your client. <laughs> and in those regards, uh, this application was made. I, I tried my best to kind of work things out. I mean, there were some very simple things they could have done to have gotten what they wanted, um, but they would have had to change their approach slightly. And I wound up, because this guy was represented by an attorney, just going back and forth with this attorney. And this was in my early days of doing planning when I really thought that writing more uh, <laughs> would, would be beneficial. And so this attorney and I, who is also not, you know, not shy about writing, uh, would send each other these like really, really long, detailed emails that grew increasingly more like antagonistic back and forth. And, and, and I'm not trying to slough this off on him. I'll take my share of the blame here, too. At one point, I sat back and realized, like, this is just dumb. We're, we're, we're wasting this guy's money. He's paying both sides of this discussion. And if the attorney would just communicate to him this very simple thing that like, if we just changed two little things, we could make this work, uh, this thing would be over. And so I did uh, what I thought maybe like, I did what I thought maybe like a borderline unethical thing. Um, because I, you know, I respect uh, attorneys. I, I, I actually like attorneys. I, I, I think that the American system of having an advocate is, is a great one. And I think everyone has a right to zealous advocacy, but it, they also should be working for you, not for their own billable hours. So I, I did the thing that I thought was slightly unethical. And I actually directly emailed the applicant, um, I copied the attorney, so I wasn't trying to pull a fast one behind his back necessarily. Um, but I wrote like a formal, your application has been denied. And then I went through and said, you know, here's uh, some things that I've been discussing with your attorney. And, uh, you know, if you could do this, this, and this, we could, we could probably work this out. I got a phone call uh, and 
it was from the the kid, the son of this applicant, and he said, uh, "Got your email. Um, would like to chat with you. Is there a time we can get together?" And it wound up that the guy lives in Edina, and at the time I was also a graduate student down at the University of Minnesota, and we met at a Perkins in Edina, and it was a it was a great conversation because we we sat down, we worked this thing out. Uh, we, we talked about it. I I wound up really liking this guy. Um, I I think he really liked me. I mean, we kind of hit it off. We're about the same age and, uh, you know, I, well, he might've been a a decade older than me, but you know, close enough to where we, we had enough in common. Uh, we had a really good conversation and, and wound up kind of resolving this thing. And the attorney, you know, was never part of the conversation again. And I was able to write them a permit and, and kind of get them on their way. Uh, a, a little bit later, I got this very, very generous, uh, like gift card in the mail. And I actually had to embarrassingly send it back, um, you know, with a, with a thank you and just say, look, like I can't, <laughs> I, you know, I'm a zoning official here. That's, that was the capacity I was working at in this city as a consultant, I said, you know, I, I appreciate it. It's very kind, but I, I can't accept this, you know, for some obvious reasons, but it was very nice of you. But I've run into them a few times uh, since and uh, always had really nice feelings and, uh, you know, very cordial back and forth. Um, so I'm headed down to Edina. Not sure if I'm going to run into them uh, next week, but that would be pretty cool as well. Uh, I know there's a curbside chat on the docket and a walking tour and some other public things. If you go to uh, strongtowns.org and click on events, you're going to get a, a whole list of, of what those are. Today on the blog, uh, on, the, on the site, uh, we have uh, a piece that, Andrew, uh, that uh, Nate Hood put together. Nate has uh, been kind of our longest running contributor. And back in the days, Nate was, uh, was volunteering a lot with us. And we had this thing come up with the Orton Foundation for a city in Vermont and they wanted a a group of us to fly out there from around the country and, and help advise this city in Vermont on, on what to do with this project they were doing. And I had a conflict. I couldn't make it, but I have to also admit uh, that I was a little bit reluctant to participate in this because it it seemed like a really bad project. Um, Nate agreed to go out on our behalf. And uh, Ryan Kelly, a guy who was on our board at the time, and Nate Hood, went out and participated in this. They kind of did a curbside chat, shared the Strong Towns message, talked with people. <coughs> and then we're part of uh, advising on this project. Um, I did not realize how bad it actually was. And Nate this week wrote a follow-up on it because after now uh, a number of years later, uh, we can kind of see the results of what happened. The idea was uh, they were tearing down an entire block of what I'm looking at here from my Midwestern eyes uh, as really great uh, kind of Main Street urban form. Stuff that we would in my hometown just like kill to have today. The, the kind of thing that people would drive a long ways here in Minnesota to get to. In Vermont, a, a little more common Um you know, there was a, a lot more there there when we got into the uh, phase of American history where we decided we were going to tear everything down. Nonetheless, they had the uh, kind of silver dollar project coming in with the idea that 
they were going to create all kinds of jobs and growth and economic opportunity by tearing down this main street building and building something, you know, getting this, this new investment in. They went ahead and tore down this block and uh, nothing happened. Uh, the, uh, the money didn't uh, come forth. The developer didn't follow through. Uh, and now they literally have this kind of crater there where they used to have this great block of stuff. The quote from the piece that really kind of gave me the kind of the gut wrenching reaction was something along the lines of, we, you know, we, the residents there, we, we call this the little Beirut because it looks like it's been completely bombed out. And someone uh, very helpfully in the comment section today posted the before and after image taken from Google. And it's, it is devastating. It, it'll make you, it, it'll make you just really sad. That we would, in, 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 you know, 2012, 2013 was when this was done, that, that, that we would still be doing the most ridiculous things from, from the past. You'd think we would have grown beyond these things. You'd think we would be, uh, you know, wiser. But uh, it's clear that we, in many places, still have a lot to learn. So check that out. The, the title of the piece is called A Big Sad Hole in the Cold Vermont Ground. I, I love the title very descriptive because really that is what is left there. Let me take a moment and do some shout outs to some new members. Uh, Michael Cooker, I hope I'm saying that right from Redding, California. We did a curbside chat uh, quite a few years ago, back I think back in 2013 in Redding and it was a great time. Thank you so much for being a member. Katie Habgood from Tampa Bay, Florida, Tampa, a, a place where there, I have also given a, a presentation, a lot, of, a lot of strange transportation conversation going on in Tampa, but um, I think also a lot of good urban talk there too. So, so reason to hope. Erica Quinzenberry from Have de Grace, Maryland. I have to say, I, I, every time I've been to Maryland, I just love it. I love it. Um, if you can get me back to Maryland, uh, I will come in a heartbeat. I think Maryland is just a beautiful state. It's like, it's like Minnesota with ocean, you know? Um, <laughs> I kind of just, I like the people there too. Everything about it, I just, I find delightful. And then Catherine Wider, and there's no uh, location for you, Catherine, but uh, thank you nonetheless. I really appreciate all of you being members. Membership is how we support this organization uh, about 40% of our revenue comes from membership without our members, without a growing member base. A lot of what we do is not possible. And and we have some big, big plans for not just this year, but for uh, the coming years. And so I encourage you, if you're thinking about becoming a member, go to strongtowns.org and sign up today. I'm going to give you a, a couple little previews. Um, next week, uh, Thoughts on Building Strong Towns, Volume 2 is going to be released and coming out. If you're a member, you've already gotten kind of a pre-release thing in your email where you can get a copy uh, it, it, with, a, with a nice, generous member discount. If you are not a member, you're going to have to wait until next week. Uh, next week, that book will be out and available. We're very proud of it, very excited. Thoughts on Building Strong Towns Volume 1 was a, a work that I put together, solely kind of my creation and my writings. Uh, but Volume 2, which is long overdue, is a more collective effort. Uh, it is the best post from 2015 from a whole bunch of different people, including Nate Hood, who I mentioned earlier, 
uh, Daniel Herridges, Johnny Sanfilippo, Grayson Johnson, Matthias Lehrer, and, and I think there's more to that list. Those are, you know, Rachel's on that list. This is going to be a really good, uh, it's a really good book. I'm, I'm very happy with it. And as a collection of essays, it's a good kind of overview to uh, the Strong Towns movement. We want to do these every year, actually. And as kind of a, a little fundraiser, it's a good way for us to kind of uh, raise some money in a way that uh, also has the simultaneous benefit of repurposing our best content and getting our message out there very broadly. There's a lot of people that won't read a, a, a news site online or, you know, dedicate that much to it, won't listen to a podcast, but love to sit down with a good book. And this is a a great opportunity for people to do that. So look for that next week. We're going to be doing on the podcast and on the, the site uh, a, a number of different things surrounding the book. So expect to see that. And we'll see if, like the last time, uh, we can surpass Paul Krugman. I, I was, <laughs> when I released Thoughts on Building Strong Towns Volume 1, uh, I was propelled to number one on the Amazon list in, uh, of course, some obscure financial category. But I took great pleasure in being number one with a book by Paul Krugman being number two. Uh, we'll see if we can do that again. I don't know if we'll be so lucky, but um, check that out next week. It will be available where uh, where books are sold online, particularly through our website. Um, finally, Rachel and I always talk about what we're reading. And I have to say, I was I was biking into the office today. And one of the perverse downsides now of my living arrangement, of, of living in town and, and being someone who uh, commutes by bike instead of by vehicle, you know, I've got a, a five-minute bike commute, 10-minute if I bike to school with the kid, which I do regularly, I, we did today, uh, as opposed to 25 minutes one way in a, in a car, is that I have a lot less time now listening to, uh, to podcasts and audiobooks. Um, I have a lot more time in general, but it's a uh, time that I've spent doing other things. Uh, you know, if time with my family, uh, being more productive here at work, uh, it's time I've spent doing that as opposed to time sitting in a car, which I, I made productive before by listening to stuff, but I'm, I'm not doing that as much anymore. Um, uh, I am listening right now to a book by Colin Whitward called American Character. And I might have referenced this one last week. I'm, I've gotten into it this week. I, I listened to it on my way to and from Knoxville. And then a little bit over the weekend. Uh, it, it's, it, it's a follow-up to American Nations. And I know I've talked about that book a, a number of times before. American Nations uh, looks at and evaluates the North American continent in terms of national identity or the identity that individuals kind of share in these larger regions. So, uh, you know, the, the Appalachia is different than the Deep South, is different than uh, New York, which Colin Woodward calls New Amsterdam, uh, which is different than Yankeedom, which is a lot of the Northeast and then a lot of the area around the Great Lakes. Different than the Far West, different than the Left Coast. These are places with um, not only different geographies, but also different cultural influences and attitudes. And, uh, you know, those two are, are very much shaped. The people who populated these places, uh, the attitudes that they brought and how those have reflected down throughout history in this huge melting pot of a country. The book, uh, American Character, 
really talks about these influences and, and then how uh, they have impacted the way that we talk to each other, the way that we deal with each other. And I'm going to use that as kind of a backdrop to segue into the craziness that is happening tonight. Tonight, we, of course, are having our very first of the 2016 election season presidential debate. I believe there's going to be three. I want to say one of them is when I'm in Portland uh, doing a curbside chat. So hopefully, uh, you know, people will still show up for the presentation as opposed to the crazy debate. But tonight there will be a debate uh, and we have somehow, <laughs> I agreed uh, to throughout the debate do a live Slack chat. So I am going to be uh, chatting with people on Slack as the debate go is going on, offering my um, humble insights and opinions. Uh, hopefully uh, I won't be too um, astounded to even type. And by the way, you know, we, 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 we're doing this focus here on infrastructure throughout the campaign and talking about uh, some of these kind of broad uh, items related to strong towns. But it was an election back in 2008 that really got me started on this. And I have to say that one seemed insane at the time. This, this one seems e even crazier. Um, we're a nonpartisan organization and I'm not going to tell you who to vote for or who, would even, I think, best represent me or the Strong Towns movement. But I, I, I will be so bold as to say, I don't hear the conversation that we're having uh, reflected in this national dialogue that is taking place. And, But I am starting to hear it more and more and more at the local level. I'm starting to hear more city council candidates, uh, more mayor candidates, uh, I'm even starting to hear more people running uh, for the state house and, and state legislative offices talking about things in a strong town's perspective. And if you had me to choose, you know, you said, Chuck, uh, you can have uh, tonight Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump uh, talk about and debate strong towns type issues, or we can have that debate going on at the local level. Again, I would much rather have the latter, right? And this is our philosophy. I mean, the, the strong towns are not something that is going to trickle down from on high. It's not something that a policy or a change will happen and all of a sudden government and corporations will start doing things from the top down that are going to make our city strong. We're going to have a strong country and we're going to have a strong national dialogue when we're having good conversations and good policies at the local level. So let's keep focused on that. You know, there's going to be a, a crazy debate and it's going to continue this crazy election season here for the next few weeks. We got to do our part. We got to participate. We got to be part of that conversation. But let's really, really push at the block, at the neighborhood, at the local level, because that's where we're going to create the most change and the most impact. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with Rachel next week. Keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Take care. Everybody.